this morning, I invite you to open your Bible, if you will, to Acts chapter number 15. Acts chapter 15, we're continuing a series of messages in the book of Acts as we're walking through it together, and today we come to one of the most pivotal chapters in all of, uh, all of God's Word. It is a watershed chapter in Acts chapter 15. It was a most important and salient um, occurrence that took place that Dr. Luke records for us in the 15th chapter of Acts. The church was in crisis, and there was a great threat against the church that had to be addressed. And so we find it in Acts chapter 15. It has to do with what, what is it that is required for a person to be saved? What must I do to be saved? How important is that question? How important is that question? Very important. This week I was making a hospital call and, and uh, gone to two or three different hospitals. And I went uh, by one hospital to see uh, one of our members. And as I was parked in the parking garage, I went, and went into the hospital and, and uh, went to the information desk to get some information. And, and uh, so uh, uh, <coughs> I took care of what I needed to do there at the hospital. I was walking back across the street to the parking garage. And a couple of men uh, were walking along the sidewalk uh, with me. We got on the same elevator. And they said, I think we saw you when we were coming into the hospital just a few minutes ago. And I said, yeah, ma maybe you did. And I, I said, uh, uh, yeah, I went to see somebody, and they've uh, uh, released them from the hospital, so I didn't get a chance to see them. And the guy goes, and two gruff guys, older guys, and they said, well, that'd make a preacher cuss. And I said, well, I don't know. I am one. And they said, oh. And then I, tell, I don't want to tell you what they said. <laughs> and then he goes, oh. He said, that's another black mark. I don't know if I'm going to make it or not. And I said, well, don't apologize to me. Apologize to God. But I said, it's not based on you making it. Well, they, they cut me off. And uh, I went to my car. And I got a lot of people think getting to heaven is based on how good I am or what I've done or what I've not done. What is it? What is the basis of our salvation? If you look with me to the 15th chapter, we find that there's a dispute that breaks out in the church and it has to do with whether what you must do to become a Christian. And if you look with me to the 15th chapter, verse number one, let's read God's word together. And certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. And this news made all the believers very glad. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, to whom they reported everything that God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, 
the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. And after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. And the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they had finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it's written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild, and I will restore it. At the rest of man, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things, things known from long ago. It's my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times, and it's read in synagogues on every Sabbath. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. And they chose Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, men who were leaders among the believers. With them, they sent the following letter, the apostles and elders and your brothers, two Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. We've heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends, Barnabas and Paul, men who've risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You're to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat strangled, strangled animals, from sexual immorality. You'll do well to avoid these things. Farewell. So the men were sent off and went down to Antioch where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. And the people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. 
And after spending some time there, they were sent off by the believers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. Father in heaven, I pray that today you'll speak to our heart what it means to be a Christian and what we must do to be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. In the 14th chapter, if you have your Bible, I hope you have your Bible and follow along with me. It says when they returned from their missionary trip in uh, southern Galatia, that Paul writes in verse number 27 of 14th chapter, uh, uh, Luke writes, he says, they arrived and gathered the church together and began to report all the things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. The door of salvation is a door of faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. That is the door of salvation. We'll notice in the next chapter, in chapter number 16, when the Philippian jailer runs into the prison in Philippi after he sees there's been an earthquake and the prison doors are open, that all the prisoners are still there and and uh, he's about to kill himself. And Paul and Silas cry out, don't harm yourself, we're still in here. And when he has the lights brought in, he looks at these brothers and he says, what must I do to be saved? Amen. And you know what? They say, thank you, Jerry. He says, what must I do to be saved? And he says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and all your household. Folks, Salvation is by grace through faith. It's not our works that save us, but it's the work of Jesus Christ that saves us. And so that's what this whole argument is about. In chapter number 15, they're in Antioch, and there's great peace and harmony, the celebration of all of the good things that God has done. But there's this threat that comes from these false teachers, troublemakers from the, uh, Paul says in Galatians, from James, meaning they came from Jerusalem where James was the lead elder and teacher. And James was a conservative. James was a Bible man. James was a lover of the law of God, but James was the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they came down without any authority, any authorization, and they began to make these statements. And it was changing the gospel from grace to works, and saying to Gentiles, if you really want to be saved, you've got to be circumcised and become like a Jew and observe the laws like Jews in order that you might be saved. This is a threat. It not only brought a threat to fellowship within the church, that Jewish Christians versus Gentile Christians, one group is superior to another, but it was a threat to the gospel itself and what it means to be saved. And it was a threat that Christianity would just become another sect of Judaism. And by Paul's own words, it would nullify the cross of Christ. It was an issue that had to be addressed head on and to be fought. Now, Paul and Barnabas had returned from this missionary journey. They had rejoiced at the work of God's grace, about the salvations of Jews and Gentiles, about the signs and wonders and miracles that the Holy Spirit had done about how the Gentiles had received the Holy Spirit and they had turned from idols to serve a living God. 
and how churches were planted and elders were appointed and the kingdom of God was expanding and the Holy Spirit was at work. But now this threat was in the fellowship and it had to be addressed. Now notice the conflict in chapter 15, beginning verse 1 and 2. They come down from Judea. They're teaching the brethren, unless you're circumcised, verse 1, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And then it says there's great dissension. Paul and Barnabas are arguing. It's a heated debate. And they're debating with them. And it becomes so intense that they say, let's go to Jerusalem, which is the mother church, and let's go to the apostles that are there and the elders are there, and let's bring our case before them. You all have come from Jerusalem causing this trouble. We're going to go back to Jerusalem and deal with this trouble. Hmm. And so their argument was, you have to be circumcised. Now, Jews circumcise. It's cutting away of the skin of male member. It's a, it's a sign of a covenant from Abraham's days. It's a, it's a sign that you are set aside to be God's people. It was valuable and important to the Jewish people in the nation. The division is, do you have to become Jewish and keep the Old Testament law? It's a huge doctrinal and fellowship issue. And so they were adding conditions to salvation based on the law. Paul writes in Galatians, if somebody comes to you and adds anything to gospel, even if they're an angel from heaven, don't believe it. Because we are saved only by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. They come with this Jerusalem authority that you've got to keep the law to be saved. Paul gives us some information about how subtle this is. These very legalistic guys come down. They begin teaching this, and it has an effect on the fellowship. As a matter of fact, even Peter, who happens to be in Antioch, and Barnabas is there, and Peter, who before was fellowshipping and eating with the Gentiles and enjoying, you know, he's enjoying pork sausage and eggs, and, and so uh, maybe, I don't know. And so he was just enjoying being with those Gentiles and fellowshipping, and they would worship together on the Sabbath. They would break bread and house to house. But when these guys come down, these Judaizers, these legalists, and they begin to teach this and eyeing up everybody who's fellowshipping with other Gentiles and, and disapproving, Peter suddenly begins to move, even Peter, a little bit away and not eating at the table with these Gentiles and not fellowshipping in their home. And, and Paul becomes incensed at Peter and confronts him face to face. Chapter number two of uh, of Galatians, he tells this story, and he says how he confronts them because he's being hypocritical. Notice in your Bible, if you look in the book of Galatians, chapter number 2, verse number 11, but when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him face to face because he stood condemned. For prior to coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof fearing the party of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy. So it's not just Peter, but other Jews. Jewish Christians are now disassociating from the Gentile Christians, withholding their fellowship and their affection, and making a division 
and the church. It says, with the result, Paul says, and listen, he's, he can't believe it. Even, even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. When I saw that they're not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, to Peter, in the presence of all, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel Gentiles to live by like Jews? So he confronts them. Verse number 16, a man is justified by, uh, nevertheless knowing that a man's not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. There's no salvation on your works, but it's the work of Jesus Christ and him alone. So this is the conflict. And so they are sent by the church to Jerusalem to lay out their case, and as they go, they joyfully are sharing. They pass through Phoenicia and Samaria, and they're telling them about the work that God has done among the Gentiles in southern Galatia and Cyprus and other places. And people are rejoicing as they're traveling, sharing the good news of how God had worked. And then they arrive in Jerusalem, notice, and this is the debate issue. So this is the second point. It is the debate issue that takes place. In verse number 5, as they're received in Jerusalem... They listened to how God had worked, their missionary report. You know what's missing, though, in verse number four? There's no joy. And the reason there's no joy is because there's this unrest that is in the church. By the way, division is so harmful in a life of a church. Amen. When you're divided and when you're not on the same page and when you're, there's disruption, you know what is missing? In the church of Antioch, people were being saved. People were being baptized. Mission teams been sent out. There was joy in the spirit. But when these guys come down and sowing seeds of discord and division, the focus moves off Jesus, off the Holy Spirit, off the mission of God, off of evangelism. Baptisms go down. That's what happens when churches get divided. But when churches are united in the things that God's called us to, the most important thing, that's when the church becomes healthy. And so this had to be addressed. So then the real issue gets said in verse number five. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, it's necessary for circumcise them and direct them to observe the law of Moses. This causes great debate and dissension. That's the issue. There, so there's this private meeting with the leaders and the pillars of the church, the apostles and John and Peter and James, Barnabas. And they discuss this matter, and then they meet with the congregation, with the fuller group again. And at this time, Peter stands up. Now listen, whatever that private face, whatever that face-to-face -face confrontation that took place between Peter and Paul, it must have had a pretty powerful effect because Peter said, let me be first out of the gate to set this straight. And he gives his testimony. Notice his testimony, the testimony of Peter. He stands up and he says, after there had been much debate, discussion, verse 7, Peter stood up and said, Brethren, you know in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles will hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. 
And he made no distinction between them, cleansing their hearts by faith. I love that. Peter is saying, you remember, guys, 10 years ago when I was in Joppa. You know the story. And I was in Joppa staying at the house of Simon the Tanner. And you remember that there was a man named Cornelius down in Caesarea. And you remember how he saw an angel of the Lord in a dream that said, I want you to sin. He says, said to him, Cornelius, your prayers and your alms have ascended before God. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to send some men to go to Simon the Tanner's house in Joppa and ask for one Simon who's called Peter. And they send, it uh, takes them a day and a half to make the journey from Caesarea, Caesarea to Joppa. And finally, they search and search until they find the house of Simon the Tanner. And so Peter is on the rooftop. It's about noon. They're preparing lunch below. And as he's on the rooftop, he goes into a trance or a dream. And he sees a sheet filled with all of these unclean animals. And he hears a word, arise, kill, and eat. And Peter says, no, Lord, I've never would eat anything profane or common or unholy. I've never digested that, never eaten that. And he says, don't call what I've called holy unholy anymore. And so three times this happened. Peter's perplexed what this means. There's a knock at the door, and Peter hears them saying, is this Simon the Tanner's house? Yes. Is there one Simon Peter that's here? And they said, yes, he's here. Peter makes his way down, and these men said, we, are, we serve a, a centurion named Cornelius, and he's in Caesarea, a godly man who's good to the Jewish people and loves God and prays God, and God has spoken to him a dream to come and ask for you and that you have a message for them. Peter accompanies them. When he makes the day and a half journey back down to Caesarea, there he finds that Cornelius has all of his friends and family members in the house. It's filled with people, and he says, tells him the story about the vision that he saw, asked, saying to go and find Peter to come and talk to them. Now we're all here. Tell us, what are we supposed to know? And he says, well, you know, I'm really not supposed to hang out with you, proud of people. And then he starts preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, and they believe in Christ Jesus, and the Spirit of God falls on them. And they are obviously born again. And Peter said they must be baptized. Peter gave a report to that in Acts chapter 11 and told them how, and, the, and the, the, the council of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 11 says, then God has opened the door to Gentiles that they can be saved. They remit that that was true, and he's reminding them. It wasn't me, God chose me to use me. It wasn't me, God chose Gentiles to save them. God knows the heart. God gave the Holy Spirit to them as he did to us. Your issue is not with the law. Your issue is with God himself because he's doing things bigger than you could ever understand. He's made no distinction. He's cleansed their heart by faith. I think Paul sitting there with the biggest old smile on his face saying, go, Peter, go. Because Peter's on the right track. and He's defending the grace of the Lord Jesus. He said, why would you put a yoke on them that none of us have been able to bear? None of us could be saved by our works. We Jews need saved by grace too. Because nobody can work their way to heaven. By the works of the law, no flesh should be justified. You think you can earn your way to heaven? C.S. Lewis said, no man knows how bad he is until he's tried very hard to be good. None of us, none of us can be saved by our works. 
Galatians chapter number 5, listen to what Paul says. For it was freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm. Don't be subject to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you, if you receive circumcision, Christ will be no benefit to you. For I say again to every man who receives circumcision that he's under obligation to keep the whole law. You've been severed from Christ You are seeking to be justified by law. You've fallen away from grace. For though we, we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness, for in Jesus Christ there's neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love. It's the only way. And so in Acts chapter 15, verse 11, Peter says, finishes his speech that says, but we believe that we're saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way that they are. Amen. I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ liveth in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. If righteousness comes to the law, Christ died needlessly. Our salvation is through the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's all. Only that. Amen. Hmm. Notice, there's not only this debate issue and the testimony of Peter, But then there's the testimony of Saul and Barnabas. And they began, everybody gets quiet. Notice verse number 12, the people kept silent. All the debate, all the arguments stopped. Peter's powerful testimonies won the day. And they're listening, Barnabas and Paul. Notice Barnabas is first in the order here because Barnabas is way more respected in Jerusalem than Paul. Barnabas begins, pipes up, and begins to speak. These are the two boys that kind of drifted away in Antioch. And all of a sudden Barnabas said, Way to go, Pete. Let me chime in here too. And told him all the ways that God had worked among the Gentiles. And Paul's adding details about people being saved, lives being transformed, and the Holy Spirit falling, and miracles that were happening. And that God was electing and changing Gentiles to turn from idols and trust in the living God. And all of a sudden, there was power in the room. And then James stands, who's the elder. He's Jesus' half-brother, and he wins the day, and he makes this proposal and this determination. Verse number, after they'd stopped speaking, James answered, verse 13, Brethren, hearken to me, listen to me. Simeon, he uses Peter's Hebrew name, has related how, related how God first concerned himself about taking from among Gentiles a people for his name. He says, what Peter has told you, the prophets, and he takes the word of God, and he said, this isn't just Peter's testimony. This isn't just Paul and Barnabas' testimony. This is in alignment with the word. And he takes the book of Amos and unfolds it in front of him and said, God prophesied through the prophets that he would open a big tent and all people would be under the reign of the Messiah 
and welcome in under grace. Amen? And so James brings this proposal. He says to them, he says, we don't need to add any other burden to this group. Verse 19, this is my judgment that we don't trouble those who are turning to God from the Gentiles. But let's just write him a letter and then tell him these things. Abstain from things contaminated by idols, fornication, things strangled and from blood. Hmm. He's not adding another level of law here. Understand. What he's saying is we are saved by grace through faith. And we are not adding the law. We are not adding circumcision. But so that there's not a division and so there's no accusation and so that there's good fellowship with Jewish brothers, stay away from things that are really offensive. Stay away from eating meat that has not, not had the blood drained from it, things that have been strangled. Don't, don't, don't go to temple sacrifices and get the meat from there and serve it to your Jewish friends. That's offensive to them. And keep yourself pure. Morally pure. Don't let people accuse Gentile worship to be like the pagans worship. But let it be different. And he says, and you'll do well. Amen. And so the church decides, yes, that's the way to go. And the Holy Spirit's in this. And they all agreed. And they sent a letter detailing those things. And they sent two emissaries to give verbal witness to what the letter said. And that's Silas, who we know in the scriptures to be Silvanus, his, his longer name. And, and also, and it goes with Paul on the next missionary journey. And then a man that we don't know much about, Judas Persabas. And they send these two leading men from Jerusalem down to Antioch. And they read the letter and they said, boys, that's exactly what the church believes in Jerusalem. Don't let anybody trouble you anymore. And the church in Jerusalem receives that report and they begin to rejoice and there's reconciliation. The church becomes healthy and focused again on the mission that God has called them to. Isn't that awesome? What a great story. Folks, this is just isn't a story. It's important and it has important takeaways for all of us. What, is it, what are those takeaways? We're going to walk through them together for just a moment. First of all, salvation is for everyone. That's not in your notes, but you can write that down. John chapter 3, six, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen. Folks, listen to me. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter your background. You can be saved because Christ came for you. And understand that God doesn't make any distinction. In verse number 28, of, it says in chapter 3, Galatians 3, 28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free man, neither male nor female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. There's no distinction. The ground at the cross is level ground. Whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, or whether you're a slave man or a free man, whether you're a black man or white man, or black woman, white woman, Asian or European, or Indian or Polynesian, whether you're a rich person or a poor person, a dumb person or a smart person, you discern. Socialist or capitalist, educated or uneducated, boy or girl, conservative or liberal, it doesn't matter. Man, you're only saved one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. And his offer is to all who will believe. His grace is for you. 
The ground of the cross is level ground, and there's no distinction. God has chosen one way, and it's in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Secondly, take away from this passage is salvation is by grace through faith. You cannot save yourself. You can't earn your salvation. You cannot earn it. If you could earn your salvation, Christ died needlessly. If you earned your salvation, then you could lose your salvation. You can't earn it. You can't keep it. It's the weird. I've had fear all of my life. Am I good enough to be? I grew up in a lot of legalism. I just, I stew it. I don't want to be legalistic, yet my mind often and heart turns that way. It's cold and it's dead. It's the letter of the law, not of the spirit. And I don't want to live under law. I want to live under grace and the spirit of God. As a young boy, I'd lay in bed and think at night, am I good enough? Am I going to go to heaven? Am I so sinful I can't be saved? It's all based in stinking thinking because it's based on my works, my goodness, my righteousness. But my salvation is not based in Tim. My salvation is based in Jesus. His righteousness for my salvation. If I could earn it, then I could boast and I could glory in myself. But if I can't earn it and only He can do it, then all the glory goes to Him. It's a gift of God. You can't lose. You can't lose it. You can't boast about it. All the glory goes to God. Legalism will rob you of your joy. Legalism will rob you of your confidence. Legalism robs God of His glory. And legalism will stunt your growth. August Toplady wrote in that great classic hymn, Not the labor of my hands could fulfill the law's demands. Could my zeal, no respite, no. Could my tears forever flow. All for sin could not atone. Thou must save. And thou alone, you're saved by God through Jesus Christ. By grace are you saved. Hallelujah. Through faith. Third takeaway is the gospel must be pure. You can't add to the gospel. When you add to it, you can't improve the gospel. I get people saying, well... I know the Bible says that, but don't you think we need to go a little further? No. No. You can't change it. You start changing, meddling with the gospel, it loses its power. You move from hope into something else. Hopelessness. You've got to fight against any change of the gospel, especially, especially religion. Because religion and religious people will attach things to the gospel and undermine the gospel. We must fight against it. And here's the gospel. You're created by Almighty God. Did you know that? You're not an accident. Understand this, that God loves you. He knew you from the foundation of the world. Understand this, that God is holy and just and righteous. Know this, that God loves you. Know this, that God sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to come into this world 
in order to redeem sinners like us. And understand this, we're all sinners by nature and by birth. We inherited a sin disease and we've all sinned ourselves. Our minds are polluted. We live in a world that is broken and we needed a Savior. And God sent His Son. And Jesus lived a perfect life. He's the only righteous one. And He died on a cross. He died the death you deserve so that you might have the life He gives. And He rose again powerfully from the dead. And if you turn from sin and trust in God, He'll save you and make you a child of God. This is the glorious gospel of Jesus. You don't earn it. You don't work for it. You repent and believe, and He'll save you from your sins. You'll be restored to God. The Reformers talked about it's sola gratia. It's by grace alone are you saved. It's sola fide, by faith alone are you saved. It's sola Christus, it's in Jesus alone that you're saved. It's sola scriptura, it's the Bible alone is our guide. And it's sola dea gloria, to God be the glory for our salvation. Number four, God's the one who chooses. God's the one that cleanses the heart, Peter said. It's God's the one who gives the Holy Spirit. And it's God only is the one who does the salvation. You don't choose. God does it in you. It's a work of his grace. For by grace have you been saved through faith. He chose Peter. He chose the Samaritans. He chose Gentiles. He chose folks in Asia Minor, and Turkey, and Galatia. He chooses Romans. He chooses Jews. He chooses Gentiles. He's the calling. He's the one working, and he's working today. Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Amen. Today is the day of salvation. Today is your opportunity to turn from sin and idolatry. Turn to God and be saved. Know the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number five, what is our responsibility? Our responsibility is simply this. Don't add anything, but this is it. Listen close. Love Jesus. Listen to me. Listen to me. Love Jesus. You want to know how to live this Christian life? Love Jesus. Fall in love with Jesus. Follow after Jesus. Read about Jesus and try to live like Jesus. Let Jesus rule and reign in your life. Love Jesus. Stop. Stop all this religious baloney and love Jesus. Number two, love people. That's still not good. Love Jesus and love people. Adrian Rogers used to say all the time, to dwell above with those we love, that will be glory. To dwell below with those we know, that's another story. <laughs> Love gets in the way. People get in the way. Our sin gets in the way. Folks, this life's not all about you, not about your offenses, not about your hurts. Just love people the way they are. I don't care if they have sagging pants. I don't care if they have tattoos. I don't care if they have a rainbow sticker. I don't care. I'm going to love them with the love of Jesus Christ. Amen, aren't you? Man, that's what's going to change the world. And then tell the gospel. Be bold. Tell other people they're hungry for the good news. Tell them the gospel. 
and watch the Holy Spirit change people's lives. Amen. Don't add anything. Just tell them the gospel. And then trust God. You just trust God to do it. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. He's building his church. Hey, Pete, Pete, listen, I give you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth shall have already been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have already been loosed in heaven. You go, Pete, and you preach the gospel and watch me work in a broken world. Woo! That's what God has called us to do. Amen. Father in heaven, I pray that we take these truths and I pray that we take them to heart and you would drive them by your spirit into our hearts. And Lord, we would turn from our waywardness and sin. We would turn from the idols of our heart. And we would turn away from legalism that kills. And we would turn back to Jesus and the pure gospel of God's grace. In Jesus' name, amen.